A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 104 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, or right on your own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get the Sithmas show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Herleman, and with me like an extra, you and Luke, the donder to my Blitzen, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody. You know, I gotta say, um, having having heard the episode number, I guess I wasn't thinking. It's episode 104. In my childhood, 104 was a radio station that was always synonymous with elevator music. It was the, uh, the, the easy listening channel. So perhaps this is the episode that we should have everything accompanied by a little bit of Barry Manilow or something in the background. Um, or make this just an easy on the ears episode. Actually, not a lot of controversy, I don't think should come up this episode, certainly not as much as in our last couple of episodes where we were sort of a uh, paraphrasing the if it's not continuity, it's crap from the old uh, Saturday Night Live stuff. Shouldn't be too bad. This is true. And I think most of the big cancellations when it came to video games and stuff happened last year, not this last year. So we dodged that bullet, I guess. Now here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we ponder the 2013 year in review of the, um, other stuff. From the Clone Wars television show to the Blu-ray editions, video games, new film announcements, Fantasy Flight, and more. Consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go. That's right. We're basically going to take care of a couple different categories this time around. We have our video and TV category, in which we're going to take a look at this year in The Clone Wars, The Yoda Chronicles, and a new home video re-release of the film trilogies. Then we have what we think of as sort of the other category, which in many ways is sort of the game category here, uh, looking at things coming from Fantasy Flight Games, which of course are the non-video games, then taking a look at the actual video games, along with Perhaps some final thoughts on some of the big announcements to come uh, in 2013 that are setting the stage for things to come in 2014 and beyond. So I guess to start out with, we have The Clone Wars. And of course, The Clone Wars ran on a regular television-type schedule. So when we talk about Clone Wars in 2013, we're not necessarily talking about all of Season 5. This would have been the time in which we'd see the end of Season 5, and if there was going to be a Season 6... That's when we would have seen the first half or so of that. Uh, and they get off light. 
I think, this year because the episodes of The Clone Wars that aired in 2013 were Missing in Action, Point of No Return, that's the last two episodes of that droids arc, uh, thankfully, getting off light, as I said, because A Sunny Day in the Void was not in 2013. It was the last aired one in 2012, so they don't get blasted for that one this year. Uh, then we had the Maul slash uh, Death Watch arc, you might call it, with uh, Eminence, Shades of Reason, and The Lawless, which had begun back with Revival, which was uh, aired as a season starter episode, even though it was meant to take place right before Eminence. Then we have the finale with Sabotage, the Jedi who knew too much, To Catch a Jedi, and The Wrong Jedi. We'll talk about the home video releases as well, but first, um, thoughts on just this back half of Season 5? It's almost, dare I say, some of the best of the Clone Wars there at the end. I mean, granted, Missing in Action, A Point of No Return, or kind of the weaker of 2013. But once you get into Eminence, the ride there was was an incredible one. Uh, you know, and, and I think a lot of Clone Wars fans were really conflicted, because while it was really good in the ending of you know, the wrong Jedi, it had that, that great score and everything. And everyone felt like, wow, this is, this is a satisfactory, satisfactory conclusion. No one wanted it to really end. And finding out after the fact that that's where it was ending, that, that leaves that, that side taste where you're just like, man, I want more. I'm salivating over here, but yet it, it like, did I bite into a bad onion? What the heck? You know, I mean, I don't know. There was a lot of really fun stuff, but at the same time, while, Certain parts of the ending seemed very satisfactory. Other parts weren't so satisfactory. You know, what happened with Darth Maul? And, you know, we thought we were going to get an answer with that come in 2014 with Lockdown, but apparently that's going to be a prequel era book, not a post-Clone uh, Wars. So, interesting in that regard, uh, the graphics and stuff, top-notch. I mean, this was the Clone Wars at its best. You know, you had the Mandalorians, the Maldalorians. You have Obi-Wan down there dressed up as a Maldalorian. I mean, it was just insanity plus Darth Sidious. You have Darth Sidious coming at Savage Opress, coming at Darth Maul. Epic three-way lightsaber battle of Sith Lord dominance. I mean, there was just, you can't go wrong with this kind of stuff. Plus you've got what's going on with Ahsoka on the backstory. You've got everything that's going on with her and Barriss Offy. Granted Barriss, uh, you know, she's a little bit different than what we kind of expected from some of the Clone Wars angles, but it, it was good storytelling. I mean, you know, I, I teared up. I'm not going to lie. It was a powerful series of episodes and the last one, especially, just ripped me up and, and 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 the way that the score was i mean you had that feeling like this is it uh but there was that other party that was just like they, they're not gonna end it right here no they couldn't there's gonna be a season six and then crickets man like we're still waiting where's that bonus content baloney baloney i'm calling baloney baloney yeah i would say that i mean missing an action and point of no return they were kind of middling episodes i mean they were all right I think my negativity toward that arc comes really from A Sunny Day in the Void. If you had dropped that one, I think I would have liked that arc quite a bit better, that whole droid-based arc and such. Um, it was kind of a weird way to start the year for those. I mean, you end 2012 going into a brief break with A Sunny Day in the Void? That's not going to bring people back. Uh, if anything, it's going to cause people to turn off the episode while it's in progress and not worry about the cliffhanger. So we begin this year, and they were so excited about beginning Season 5 
that they brought the Maul episode revival and stuck it at the beginning when it wasn't meant to take place at the beginning. It was not meant to be a season premiere, and thankfully on home video, they put it back in the right order. But they did that, and then to kick off 2013, they don't do anything big. They pick it up with Missing in Action, whose only claim to fame was having a somewhat poorly used Republic Commando in it. Um, but that was it. Fortunately, 2013 did bring us what I think is the eight-episode run of this series, the two-arc run of this series that is the best that it ever got. We get uh, the eminence, well, I guess, you know, if you don't count Revival, because Revival was meant to fit in with it. I'm thinking of it in terms of what it looks like on home video, so I guess the last seven episodes that were particularly good, where we had the uh, the build-up of the Shadow Collective, which we know the name of thanks to Jason Fry's works and uh, The Last Jedi, we then have the confrontation between Vizsla and Maul for leadership of Death Watch. We get that great confrontation between Kenobi and Maul. Uh, and spoilers, of course, you know, we give you the spoiler warning and everything. Uh, the death of Satine um, that's so impactful on Obi-Wan. The confrontation between Sidious, Maul, and Savage that sort of wraps up Savage's storyline. And then the great episodes that give us the reason why Ahsoka finally leaves the Jedi Order. There was that question... How could Ahsoka survive Order 66 into the future, or will she have to die? And they found sort of a way out where she's not a Jedi when Order 66 takes place. So she would be sort of away from the Jedi Order and possibly be able to survive into perhaps Rebels or, you know, wherever else they want to go with it. I think this was a really good ending to the series. It would have been nice to see where certain other plot threads could have been wrapped up, or how they might have been able to take them and connect them into something else, like uh, EU materials to make it all fit together a little bit better. Um, but they didn't. But at least now that it is over, except those bonus episodes they say are going to shake things up, um, there's that sense that maybe they could start to retcon things and fit things together. Though, now we're told, it's not going to happen. Leo and Chi has, has posted uh, several times online that no, there are no current plans whatsoever to go back and try to make the Clone Wars cartoon series and the previous EU Clone Wars stuff fit together. So we're sort of left with that whole Luke Skywalker quote about the chronology of the Clone Wars is confusing, and it's just not going to be fixed. It's not going to be addressed, apparently. Um, That's one of those things, though, that kind of leaves a, a sour taste in your mouth. Because, you know, as a fan like us, where we're paying attention to continuity and stuff, and when an air comes, they always go, well, just wait and see. Don't judge it yet. Just wait and see. We're going to fix it later. We'll fix it later. And then later comes and they go, we're not going to fix it. I mean, is, isn't that like like a bully on a playground that's like, I'm going to let you play with this toy when I'm done with it. I'm not done with it. I'm not done with it. You're going to play with it when I'm done with it. And then he's like, okay, I'm done with it, but I'm leaving and I'm taking my toy. You're like, wait, what? What? You bully son of a, you Sith monkey bit named Tenebris. What the heck? I mean, I don't know. There, there's a part of me that just. It rubs me wrong when they're like, no, we're not going to have no idea what we're going to do to fix this. So we're just going to leave it alone. Like, really? Like, then why even pretend you were going to fix it? I, I don't know. It, that's that, that rough spot that, that Leland's in. Because, you know, for fans like us, we're like looking at him like, fix it, Leland, please. Help us, Leland G. You're our only hope. You know, and then you get an answer like that. And you're just like, you let me down, man. You let me down. But. It's not him, you know? <laughs> There's that just a weird... Am I alone here, Nathan? Or do you do you feel like a little kind of like a imaginary slap across the face when you hear that? Oh, yeah. Just, you know, it was that was the promise, you know, or, or the... Not promise. What's the word I'm looking for? The, the statement that was issued repeatedly, you know, they will work on trying to figure out how it all fits, but you won't be able to do that until the series is over. Well, the series is over! And we're not getting that. Unless 
the idea is that, well, we got to wait until those bonus episodes come out and then it can be done. Because it does say no current plans, but I, from what I'm getting out of the statements themselves, I'm not seeing that as the way to interpret it. It seems like it's more of just a definitive, it's not going to be done. Which gives you hope that maybe they'll find a way to take this and the films and Rebels and make it one continuity and leave the EU as its own timeline, uh, despite how mixed up things are because of this. But, uh, I don't know, I'm... I'm waiting to see what they do with, with uh, Rebels and the new films and everything. But we did see some cool Clone Wars stuff on home video. And I would like to say this is aided by the fact that, that during this year we also got the Clone Wars episode guide by Jason Fry. Not mentioned when we talked about the books. Uh, it basically was the first to give us a correct, finished, chronological order of episodes of the Clone Wars. They had tried it a little bit before when they put out that uh, visual guide, the updated and expanded visual guide and such, but there were some errors that creeped into that that were errors that were in the list when I saw a list early on that Leland Chi sent me that I couldn't publicly talk about at all um, And in terms of the Mandalorian episode order and that sort of thing. And then they tweaked a couple things even then from that original order to give us the order that finally shows up both in the episode guide and in the DVD materials and such. Or I guess... Uh, uh, that we're supposed to watch the DVDs in. I guess it's not in DVD packaging itself. Uh, but this time, this year, we got actually five different Clone Wars home video releases. Uh, three, if you don't count DVD and Blu-ray releases as separate. And you're going to see these very soon on From the Star Wars Home Video Library, my YouTube series that you can find online. So be sure to check those out when they finally get released. We're right at the point where the Clone Wars stuff is going to be the next thing being covered. But um, the stuff that you would expect, of course, is the release of The Clone Wars The Complete Season 5. We have a three-DVD set, and we have a two-Blu-ray disc set for The Complete Season 5. Basically, what we got this time around, um, they, they tend to go back and forth on whether or not they're going to give like special little video bits for every episode, or if they're going to do just sort of a, a story arc-based commentaries or what. You know, they've kind of gone back and forth in their approach, depending on which season set we're looking at. This season set has basically uh, a quick addition of little video commentaries, small little video commentaries, for each individual episode, which I thought was nice. They went back to somewhat the approach that they took back in, I guess it was season one back in the day, the little featurettes for each episode, albeit short ones. Uh, no big featurettes this time around or anything like that. And they do have director's cuts here. But again, these director's cuts for Eminence and Shades of Reason are not actually director's cuts per se. They add in something that was extra violent that they didn't want to put on Cartoon Network. So, for instance, um, there's an extra shot of uh, when... Uh, Savage throws the double-bladed lightsaber and it spins its way down the table and kills the Black Sun leaders. There's a brief extra shot there. There is a brief extra shot when Maul kills uh, Pre Vizsla. And that's pretty much it. Um, just like with Season 4, they had those supposed extended cuts, which were only, you know, a matter of seconds in each episode for certain impalements and things like that. So, yeah, you get a tiny bit of added material here, but it's not something that's going to cause somebody who already bought this, say, through iTunes to pick it up on Blu-ray or DVD. What should, though, is those cool Jedi Temple Archives materials, which is kind of neat, um, that's exclusive to the Blu-ray, 
and the fact that the Blu-ray and DVD release of Season 5 were in the theatrical widescreen aspect ratio rather than the other type of widescreen, the, the narrower widescreen that we get on the uh, Clone Wars airings on Cartoon Network and on the iTunes release. For that, these are definitely worth picking up, especially the Blu-ray, because these things look gorgeous on Blu-ray, get the theatrical aspect ratio, and you get those extra Jedi Temple Archives things. Um, that certainly makes these worth picking up, though I have to scratch my head and wonder why it still says every season that the uh, the Jedi Temple Archives stuff with the deleted scenes and animatics and stuff like that, why it always says exclusive to Blu-ray for a limited time. What exactly that means uh, each time around, because it's not like they're going to add it into the DVDs or something. Maybe they're just sort of leaving it open to maybe put it online or something. It's it's going in the vault, man. <laughs> oh Lord! But this was before. Well, no, I guess it wasn't before the Disney thing was announced. But it always said that, you know, even the previous releases. So yeah, season five set very cool, definitely worth checking out. The one that's going to be a little bit more iffy for folks is the Star Wars: The Clone Wars seasons one through five collector's edition. Um, ironically, right before this came out, and this is that two week stretch where we had a ton of Star Wars home video releases, all of which we're going to cover here. Um, seriously, seriously rough on the wallet, okay? Um, right as this was being released was when they announced, oh, by the way, in early 2014, that's when you're going to get those bonus episodes. The bonus episodes, of course, are not included in this set. It's not the complete series. It's seasons one through five, collector's edition. That by itself rubs some folks wrongly. Basically what you got here are two, they're actually identical containers. There's nothing in the actual boxes that'll tell you whether it's DVD or Blu-ray. You have to open them up to be able to tell. That by itself was a little bit weird. Um, but what you got when you open them up is, uh, I mean, it's, it's some nice material. You have two different cases inside each one uh, for seasons one through three and then three through five. Basically, it splits in the middle of, of uh, season three. And inside each of these much larger containers, you get the individual discs. And these are the same discs we got in the seasons one through five DVD or Blu-ray sets. It's 19 DVDs in the DVD version of the complete seasons one through five. It is 14 Blu-ray discs in the Blu-ray set. What they've done, though, is they've redone the labels on each disc. Exact same disc contents as the previous ones. In fact, if you put in one of the previous DVDs into something like a PlayStation 3 that remembers the last place you were on a DVD or a Blu-ray, and you stick the one in from this set, they're going to go back to where you left off on the previous ones. They are the exact same discs as far as content goes and coding goes and everything like that. But what they've done is they changed the backgrounds on the labels for the discs. So you have sort of a sky blue kind of background now, and you still have the portrait-type images of different characters on each disc. But... Because from season to season, you wound up in some cases with characters repeating like an Anakin for multiple seasons, Ahsoka on a disc label for multiple seasons, and they don't want that to be the case for this full, you know, five-season set, there are times where they have brand new characters on disc labels so that those characters don't repeat, so that you don't get Ahsoka over and over and over again. I thought that was kind of a neat little touch to that. But as far as content goes... Exact same content as the season sets, so if you, you know, if you waited to pick up the season sets until you had a complete set of all five seasons, now is the time to do it. You also get a little booklet called an episode guide, which is actually more just like, um, you know, it's, it's the same kind of things that we got with the previous sets, 
where it says, you know, season whatever, disc one, disc two, disc whatever, um, and then gives you the name of the episode and the order that they're in, and a quick little tiny description of the episode, kind of like you'd see in TV Guide, if anybody even reads TV Guide anymore, and then if there's special features on it, it would tell you that down at the bottom. And then, along with this, you get that exclusive art book. And that's the thing that was exclusive to this set that everybody was like, oh, if I want the art book, i bought it. got to buy this set. It's basically 55 pages of tons and tons and tons and tons of concept art and sketches and stuff like that. Um, not really much in the way of text to go along with it, just quick, brief descriptions of what it is that you're seeing. It's cool. It's neat. Honestly, it's not something that you should really buy this set in order to get. Um, it's not that awesome, but it is a cool little addition here, and it is exclusive to that set. So whether you pick up the 19-disc DVD set or the 14-disc Blu-ray set, you know, it's worth picking up if you don't have the previous seasons, you're an extreme collector like I am, and you're picking up all the different releases, or perhaps you're going to take your previous season sets, not buy season five, sell those off on eBay or something, and put some of that money towards buying this set, which you can get at discounted prices on places like Amazon to sort of defray some of the costs. But this was certainly the biggest of the purchases for Clone Wars folks this year. Um, before we move on to anything else with Clone Wars, though, Mark, I know that you um, have talked before about having somewhat different setups as far as home video stuff and home video preferences than I do. Um, have you picked up any of these complete seasons or picked up that big seasons one through five set? If so, what medium do you watch them on? Is it Blu-ray? Is it DVD? Well, so far, no, I haven't. Uh, if I, I plan on getting it, which I do, I want to do it on the Blu-ray. That's kind of why I've been holding out. Um, at the time, they hadn't announced the Blu-ray stuff. And now that they have, I'm just kind of waiting for the price to come down. Because, you know, it, it, it was a little weird the way that they released them. It's like, wait, what? What's going on? They're, they're almost the same, but not? Like, I don't know. When it comes to getting your Blu-ray, your DVD, and stuff like that, Lucas has had such a habit of, of giving you so many versions of that, I don't know, between that and Peter Jackson, you know, you go out and you get your Blu-ray as soon as it comes out, and then, like, a year later, here's the special edition of the Blu-ray. It's like, I I'm a frump right out at it. I mean, I'm salivating for it, but I, I kind of hold out. I mean, I've got them all, uh, you know, downloaded, um, so I can watch them in a lower quality on my computer anytime I want, but it's just not the same. I mean, you know, I, I hear you talking about the, the, the trilogies on Blu-ray. I still haven't got those on Blu-ray yet. You know, I'm, I'm wanting them, you know, and, and what's funny is I never asked that for Sithmas. Like I was like, Oh, I, Oh, I could use a digital audio recorder, or a new computer. I never even thought about getting the Blu-rays, <laughs> which now I feel really dumb because that seems like such an obvious one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things where the price is still a little high for me. I don't know if I'd want to spend that. I kind of wait till somebody's watched it and is done with it and is like, hey, I'm going to get rid of this. Uh, you want it? So I'm kind of in that boat. Um, you know, I would love to have it, but the price tag is still a little high for me. I guess I should also add here when I said that you can't tell the difference between the boxes of the complete seasons one through five on uh, Blu-ray or DVD, the immediate thought is, well, wait a second, shouldn't they be different heights? Because Blu-ray cases are smaller, and that's one of the easiest ways to tell between the Blu-ray and DVD releases of the individual season sets. The answer is yes and no. When you open it, there are different size containers. The DVD size container goes all the way up to the top of the box, but the Blu-ray size containers fit nicely into the box with this little piece of styrofoam stuck at the top of the box to cover up the rest of the height. Literally, the boxes are the exact same dimensions no matter what. The exact same stuff on uh, the cover no matter what. There is nothing on there to indicate DVD or Blu-ray. So, uh, especially if you're going to go on eBay or somewhere and try to pick one of these up, 
if somebody's already taken it taken it out of the packaging and you're just looking at the actual box that says seasons one through five complete or a collector's edition be careful make sure you check with them about what's inside because you would not be able to tell from the outside the difference between these two releases Oh, yeah, that sounds like a mistake waiting to happen. What happens if you lose that little styrofoam thing? Is that going to cause some detrimental action for your DVD? Is it going to be more susceptible to fall out and get scratched by the uh, center holder? Discs, no, because the discs are in those uh, clamshell-type cases that fit a crap ton of discs in one case. Um, Like a lot of season sets you get of TV series these days. But what it will do is those will be bumping up and down and up and down and up and down inside the case on you. and, of course, as that's happening, there's always the chance that the episode guide booklet or the art booklet, uh, when, it, when say, the, the containers are, let's say that they're down towards the bottom, those booklets might lean a little bit so that they're uh, uh, cover, going into that little open area at the top. And then if it shifts and those containers move upward, you might wind up seeing it ding the corners, perhaps, of your, your booklets. Maybe. Uh, uh, okay. So that's definitely something you want to be careful of if you're buying eBay or or things like that, then, because the packaging on the outside, which is weird, because, you know, from a collector's standpoint, you would think that you would want something special from the outside. Uh, you know, uh, the Fast 6 came out. We went down to Walmart, and they had the, the Blu-ray DVD pack. It was like 25 bucks. But then they had a Walmart exclusive version, which was a metal case. And they had the exact same stuff on the inside for nineteen ninety nine. I'm like, man, this is cheaper even, and it's got the collector's case. Like, you know, think about the comics with your variant editions. You want the variant cover and that kind of stuff. You, I'm just kind of shocked that they didn't have anything on the outside that said collector's edition. Well, no, it says collector's edition. It says seasons one to five collector's edition, but it says nothing about Blu-ray or DVD whatsoever. It does nothing to distinguish between them. And I'm sure at some point once those bonus episodes come out, if they get released on home video, which surely they will, we'll eventually get an even bigger set. Uh, that's that's my dread. But at least that'll be <laughs> years from now when there's time to save up some cash. Um, the other big release, uh, often forgotten, though, for the Clone Wars cartoon series this year was the so-called Star Wars The Clone Wars 3-pack. Uh, on the cover, it says, 3-pack uh, above the Clone Wars logo, then says, 3-disc collection includes 12 episodes. Basically what this is is a repackaging of some previous Clone Wars releases called A Galaxy Divided, Clone Commandos, and Darth Maul Returns. Basically what you get here, and this is kind of a weird thing. Um, first off, there was there was thought at first that this was a Toys R Us exclusive. It is not. It is available in multiple places. Um, it's a little got a little slip case. You pull out the little regular DVD case, and inside the DVD case are your three discs. All three discs are literally the same discs with the same labels as we got on those previous releases. Um, Galaxy Divided and Clone Commandos came back, came out back in 2009, and basically what you get on these, um, Galaxy Divided is Ambush, Rising Malevolence, Shadow of Malevolence, and Destroy Malevolence, the first four episodes of the series to be aired. Um, the, basically they put this out before they put out the complete season one set as a way of sort of testing the waters and making some money off of the kids who wanted to see the episodes before the season set could come out, of course. Um, what makes this weird, though, is that one, uh, the episodes are in the format that they aired on Cartoon Network, which means that there are no director's cut versions, and there were some director's cut differences in season one. So these are the original versions that you would have got, say, off of iTunes, which also means they're not the theatrical aspect ratio of widescreen. They're that, that, that kind of narrower widescreen that you get on Cartoon Network. And then there's the one thing about it that makes me scratch my head, and that is that they are letterboxed. In other words... It's not where you've got 
the um, that take it take the image the widescreen image you get on say Cartoon Network okay if you have a widescreen HD television and you play this in a DVD player um, it's not going to show up the way it did on Cartoon Network where it is enhanced for widescreen TVs and you get the big old picture with only a little bit of black on top and bottom because it's designed as just the picture and it sort of fits to your TV. Instead, this is letterbox like the way they used to do widescreen for VHS, like the first time that Star Wars was ever released uh, with the films in widescreen in 1993. And what you've got instead is there's the widescreen picture, but then they have added in black on top and bottom into the actual frame in order to fill up your regular TV screen. But what that means is that when you play this on a DVD player, on an HD television that is widescreen, not only do you get the picture with the black on top and bottom, you also get huge black spaces to the left and the right. It is framing this in the center of your TV the same way it would frame anything that was regular 16 by 9 aspect ratio like old television programs or like trying to watch, you know, an old uh, VHS version. It's exactly the same kind of flaw that was present in those uh, 2006 and 2008 uh, releases of the classic trilogy that had the original unaltered edition, where they weren't letter or they weren't widescreen per se, they were letterboxed. So if you try to watch them on a an HD TV these days, you've got a very small picture in the center of the screen with black on top and bottom and left and right. That is a bizarre choice, but I guess given that this was 2009, maybe they were just assuming that most of the TVs that kids are going to watch stuff through aren't going to be HD widescreen televisions, that they would still be being viewed on standard 16 by 9 standard definition TVs. Yeah, that's that's a weird move. And, I mean, I, I'm not one to really be excited when they, they deliver the, a few episodes here and there. I mean, that that to me, it's like kind of ir- irritating. My, the same thing happened with my son with the Ninja Turtle stuff. I thought I was buying him a season of the stuff and turned out it was only like eight episodes or six episodes, something like that. It's like, oh, man, now I got to go back and buy his stuff again. And that, that just bothers me because now you're like, well, do I really want to buy it? I've got all, half the episodes right here. I don't know. Just seems like the uh, cash grab kind of theme that a lot of mm-hmm. people just don't like. Oh, absolutely. Um, also from 2009, in this package, this three-pack, you get Clone Commandos, which was uh, Rookies, and then the Ryloth trilogy, Storm Over Ryloth, Innocence of Ryloth, and Liberty on Ryloth. Again, same kind of thing. They are letterboxed versions of the versions that you got on Cartoon Network. So they are not the same versions that you get on the season set, which I guess makes these somewhat worth getting, if only because... Yeah, they're letterboxed, but if you don't have them from iTunes or somewhere, this is the only way to get the non-director's cut version of these. In fact, if you take Clone Commandos and A Galaxy Divided into account, that only leaves Grievous Intrigue, uh, or not Grievous Intrigue, a Layer of Grievous, excuse me. Layer of Grievous is the only episode from Season 1 that got a director's cut on the Season 1 home video release that never got a corresponding non-director's cut release on DVD. It only got a non-director's cut release on iTunes. Is that a director's cut anymore, though, or is that just a final cut? Whatever they want to call it. Um, Then you've got the one that actually has a better video quality, and that is Darth Maul Returns. This was one that basically takes the last four episodes of season four and puts them together into one film. Um, It takes off some of the beginning stuff, the ending stuff. It puts it together. It rearranges certain story aspects um, though not in any enormous type of way, but enough to be noticeable here, runs it together as basically a movie. In this case, you do get the widescreen aspect ratio like you would get on the season sets. It's a nice, 
theatrical style, movie style presentation here. It works great on widescreen televisions. This one was actually originally released as a Target exclusive, I guess a limited exclusive, limited time exclusive, until eventually it was released uh, more broadly. You could buy it pretty much anywhere, and then it becomes the third disc in this three-pack. Personally, uh, if you are a collector and you're really into having all the different versions of things, and hey, it's Star Wars, we tend to do that, hence... DVD, Blu-ray, VHS, etc., etc., editions, and ones that we want to hang on to instead of selling off when we buy a new edition. This might be worth checking out because, again, you got these non-director's cut versions of some of the season one episodes, and you've got the film-style version of Darth Maul Returns. The only thing, um, from my understanding, that we have not seen that's been released on home video as far as a, a movie-style cut of something that hasn't gotten an actual DVD or Blu-ray release is the Night Sisters trilogy. Uh, that was put together into a a movie-style one that was shown for fans and then released on iTunes, but has not been released as part of any type of, of home video release on any kind of disc-based media here. So basically, what we really got is this is George's last opportunity to tinker with anything Star Wars. So how can we give them multiple ways to rearrange this and really mess with their minds as to what really happened? <laughs> wow! Wow, he did exactly what he did with the rest of the trilogy, just to the show. Like, I'm just going to chop it up and give it to you in another way. and uh, Which, it, it's interesting, but again, it gets back to that why. Like, I, I, I can understand why some people would feel like there is an aspect of Lucasfilm that's just out there to milk the fans. <laughs> I mean, really, you're going you're gonna to give us a whole other version of the film? Huh, okay. I, I don't know. I, I scratched my head over that because, you know... Well, I can I can understand sitting down and watching some of these as a movie aspect. I just don't get the the why they needed to do it. I mean, you know, why not put that energy back into, you know, doing some of the other stuff like, you know, maybe putting out a season six. I don't know. Then, of course, we got even more. And for what it's worth, if you're interested in the changes as far as a director's cut versus regular cut of the individual episodes or the theatrical movie style cut there for Darth Maul Returns, Check out my Star Wars timeline goal, starwarsfanwars.com slash timeline. Anytime that there's that type of thing happening with a cartoon release, I make a note of it in a little note after the summary for the story. Uh, same thing with uh, Ewoks and Droids, but actually Ewoks and Droids, on my uh, uh, from the Star Wars Home Video Library series, uh, it's been flagged for content, but so far it hasn't been removed. Uh, pretty soon the dispute will be over and it should stay up. I've done some videos about the home video releases of Ewoks and Droids and went through and shown you, video-wise, um, using clips from home-recorded and digitized versions of the original episodes of Ewoks and Droids, compared to digitized versions of the other ones, uh, the ones officially released on home video, to show you where they've changed and edited things and cut things out of Ewoks and Droids. And I'm going to eventually do the same thing with Clone Wars, if they don't wind up removing anything, and it does seem like it's all kosher to use, because it is kind of for educational uh, archival purposes here. But check that out, um, at least while those episodes are still up and not possibly being taken down. Um, you, have, you have to wonder, though, why they make these decisions. I mean, I go I go back even to the, the trilogies when Lucas is like, well, let's just change the color of these lightsabers here and, and let's increase the sound of the Krayat dragon here. And like with the Clone Wars, it's like, you know, you're building this as you go. Why couldn't you get it right the first time? <laughs> I don't know. It just seems so weird that they got to go back and tinker. Quite so. Um, all right, then also in the uh, Star Wars video category here, we have Lego Star Wars The Yoda Chronicles. We had already had the whole Revenge of the Brick 
which wound up being that you know that quick little episode three parody type thing that showed up on one of the uh, Clone Wars micro series DVDs as a bonus feature. We had Lego Star Wars: The Padawan Menace, which was then released on Blu-ray and DVD combo pack, not available separately, but Blu-ray DVD combo pack in one with a little young Han Solo Lego figurine. Then we had Lego Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Out, and that one no Blu-ray release. That one gets a DVD-only release, but that one comes with a Darth Vader with a metal-on little figurine. So then you move into 2013, and they do a three-episode trilogy um, of LEGO Star Wars stories called the Yoda Chronicles. We have the Phantom Clone, Menace of the Sith, and Attack of the Jedi. Phantom Clone comes out on television. I find it funny. It's kind of cool that it has sort of a backbone of a story there. I like Jek, the, uh, uh, the super clone, so to speak. Pretty cool. Uh, Menace of the Sith, another neat one. Uh, continuing on that same story. And then before they can air Attack of the Jedi, the third one on television, I guess they were trying to upload a trailer for it, and Lego screwed up and uploaded the entire thing to their YouTube channel. So for a very short time, you could either watch it or save it using something like keepvid.com uh, and check out Attack of the Jedi before it ever aired on television. I'm assuming that must have at least somewhat hurt the ratings of it. Of it. And then well before we get an official release of all three of these on home video, which has yet to be announced, but you, you gotta know it's coming. And it'll probably have a little Lego figurine in it or something. This year, we got a Walmart-exclusive DVD of Lego Star Wars The Yoda Chronicles, including only The Phantom Clone and Menace of the Sith, the first two that had been aired at that time. I guess perhaps released at that time to build up some hype towards the final episode, Attack of the Jedi, that was going to be airing very soon. But kind of an odd release. It's a Lego Star Wars release with no little figurine, and it's not even the entire series. It's just two of the three episodes of the Yoda Chronicles. That's a weird one. You know, I, I like the little Yoda movies. I haven't actually watched these, but I, I follow the, the toy line enough that I understand who Jack is, and, and it's an interesting character. He's got that, like, force-filled glowing arm kind of looks like Badur's little uh repulsor arm but it's uh, apparently just like a channeling of the force or how he stores the force i'm not exactly sure the backstory there but i'm curious it, it looks cool but it's lego so i'm kind of like well does it really count so you know there, there's that aspect of me that i just didn't rush out and get it because i was just like ah well i'll just get the toys for my kid and he can just tell me about it later you know <laughs> Then, of course, the other big home video release that actually a lot of people missed. It just slipped by a lot of folks because they did absolutely no hyping up of this whatsoever. In fact, they didn't even make the contents of it clear at all in any of the little bit of marketing and news releases that they did do about it. Uh, and that is re-releasing the film trilogies on Blu-ray DVD combo pack. Now, the Star Wars films, give you some background here, the classic trilogy was released on DVD in 2004, then those same discs repackaged in 2005, but without the little bonus disc that had Empire of Dreams on it. Then in 2006, you get another release that reuses the same film disc, but then gives you an extra disc with the unaltered version of the film on it, the little two-disc sets. And then you get another release in 2008 that drops the full-screen option and gives you those same discs again repackaged into a boxed set. But it's that 2004 version of each of these films. And of course, uh, the prequel films came out as they were coming out in theaters. I guess it was a 2000, 2000 or 2001 when uh, Phantom Menace first came out on DVD. Then you got 2002 for Attack of the Clones and 2005 uh, for Revenge of the Sith. And then 
Uh, they just had those same releases until 2008 where there was a box set that just took those exact same two-disc sets and just crammed them together into one box. Then came 2011, and the Star Wars films, all six of them, were released on Blu-ray with some changes, minus the... I mean, there's really only one change to a wipe in Revenge of the Sith, but the other one's got at least some minor tweaks to them, in some cases bigger tweaks, and those were released on Blu-ray only. You could buy the complete saga set of nine discs that has uh, three discs for the classic trilogy films, three discs for the prequel trilogy films, a disc of bonus materials just for the prequels, a disc of bonus materials just for the classics, and then a disc of bonus materials that has, like, documentaries and spoofs. Or you could buy the individual trilogies without those last three bonus discs where you just got the films, you could buy the, tri the classic trilogy set and the prequel trilogy set. That was back in 2011. Two years later, 2013... They released these DVD Blu-ray combo packs, but there was a lot of confusion because there's this question of, well, wait a second, okay, you're going to put out Blu-ray and DVD of the films, but last we saw, the Blu-rays from 2011 and the DVDs uh, last put together for Revenge of the Sith in 2005 for the classic trilogy in 2004, um, those are not the same cuts of these films. The HD version is not the same as the SD version that we have seen. So... There was some question, are they just going to repackage these yet again, or is it possible we were going to get the Blu-ray version of the films with those tweaks on DVD for the first time so that someone who doesn't have a Blu-ray player could see this 2011 supposedly definitive version of the films, you know, where those rocks were always meant to be in front of R2-D2. And, oh, uh, it's like a reverse TARDIS. The, uh, the doors to Jabba's palace, they're smaller uh, on the inside than they are on the outside. And all those ridiculous changes that he made, most of which weren't really necessary. Um, it turns out that is exactly what we got. The big difference, though, um, aside from just the fact that it's a different cut of the film, is that when they did go back and remaster all of this and everything um, uh, to put the discs together, the commentaries, the audio commentaries that we got on the original DVDs that were then carried over to the Blu-rays don't exist on these DVDs. It is just the film, and that's it. And you get the same thing for the classic trilogy set. Three Blu-ray discs, one for each film, identical, except for the label to what we got in 2011, and then three discs on DVD with the 2011 Blu-ray versions on them, lower resolution, no commentaries. Personally, I think this was great. I mean, yeah, we were rebuying the same films yet again, if we're collectors, the same thing we do all the time, but to take that final version of the films that were on Blu-ray in 2011 and put them on DVD for those who haven't seen it, in a package where you're buying it basically for a relatively cheap price so that those who don't have a Blu-ray player yet can then see them on Blu-ray later when they finally get a Blu-ray player or a PlayStation 3 or an Xbox One or whatever, you know, I think that was actually a pretty cool idea. But mm -hmm. they didn't announce this very well. They didn't hype it up at all. They never clarified what was on it. I mean, I literally did not know what was on the DVD discs in either of these sets until the day I bought them and pop them in the player. Thankfully, turns out to be the 2011 cut. I know you had said at one point you have not seen the 2011 Blu-ray cuts of the films. Yeah. This is your chance to do that because they're right here on DVD now. Yeah, and, and that's yeah, that's that is a very nice thing about it. And I, I remember you on Facebook going, you know, when are we gonna get some details? When are we we got two weeks, we got four days, we got two days. Yeah, the Talk answer was them. never. The answer was when are we gonna get some details? Never. But I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm digging that as well, because, you know, the way canon works was that Blu-ray was the canon of the films, and for everybody that had DVD only, you weren't getting to watch that. And, you know, I mean, that, 
you don't know what Star Wars is until you watch that. So I'm still like, I don't know what Star Wars is. I mean, I know what the, the scenes are because I've looked them up, but I don't know. It's one of those things where I that side of the collection aspect of me when it came to the films, I just kind of backed away and like, I just want to make sure I have a copy of, of the closest to the original, which is the uh, old, what, 97 or so DVDs I've got. Uh, and then I was waiting on the Blu-ray set that has all the goodies. Still haven't gotten it yet, but hey, you know, that, that sounds like a fun pack to get. I just, I've kind of come to the point where when it comes to the DVDs, I just look at it like this. You know, obviously they're going to continue to put them out there. And, you know, hopefully they're not going to continue to add new scenes every time. That's the part that really irks me is when they go back and tinker with it. It's like, you know, if you want to give it a new menu or, or new bonus features, that's one thing. But when you're going in and you're tinkering with the film in in a fandom that constantly goes with whatever you tinker with today counts, that is what drives me nuts. It's like, can we just stop with the forcing of retcons all the dang time just because we want to tweak with something? I mean, that that was the thing that bothered me. But if I can park that. You know, they, these multiple angles and all these different versions of the movies, I'm, I'm not so upset about it. You know, I'm like, I'm OK. You know, they're, they're just putting it out there in case you missed the first one or whatever. You know, because, I mean, as we're going to get later on into the into the toy aspect here, it, you know, sometimes while Star Wars is everywhere, you go into the stores, and you can't find it. And nothing is more frustrating when you're looking for a DVD or a Blu-ray of certain film, you know, and you go there and you can't find it. Or if you go down, and you're looking for certain toys and they're not there. So in that regard, it's nice that they have so many versions of the films out there, but it would be nice if, if they just continue to stick with one definitive version and just go with that, not not keep tinkering. I'm glad that, that as of right now, the tinkering seems to have stopped, but I'm, I'm hesitant to say that it has because, you know, Lucas has sold off Star Wars and he's still tinkering with the plots and things that are coming. So I, I just, I'm like, dude, you, you are awesome, George. You managed to sell your franchise and still stay in control of it. Dude, that is, that is pimp. Oh, just wait. I give it 10 years. They put somebody new in charge of Lucasfilm, uh, who for Disney has the control over these films, who turns around and says, you know what? We're putting them out on home video yet again, and we're going to tinker with them yet again. But George, screw you. Our tinkering is going to be going back to the originals and making them nicer looking, and that's it. Screw your rocks in front of R2-D2. Screw Greedo shooting first, sir. That's what happens when you sell the rights. But yeah, that would, well, that well, would that, never happen. That's I, I just want to go on a slight tangent with that because that reminds me back in what the, the 80s or the late 70s when Lucas went down to the Supreme Court or whatever and was saying, you know, Ted, Ted Turner should not be colorizing these films because it, it just it destroys the integrity of the films. And these films are owned by the, the media audience that are watching it. This is our heritage. We should not be messing with them. And it'd be funny to see them turn around and use that on him. Well, George, we decided we're going to go back to the original canon. You know, back to Star Wars. Not A New Hope, but Star Wars. And then the movies that came after it. And that's going to be canon from here on out. We're going, we're, we're canon. We're bringing it back. That shit's supposed to be solid. It reminds me of Megadeth. Uh, what was the Megadeth quote? A hypocrite, the word that fits. Do as you say, not as you do. Or whatever it was from way back in the day. I am totally, totally dating myself. Um, by quoting old school Megadeth there, um, but I mean that's that's pretty much what it is. I mean it's the you know do as I say, not as I do essentially. Um, now that brings us out of the films finally, or out of the home video releases here, 
into the other category. And I would say the other category can divide neatly between video games and other games, at least in terms of what we're going to cover here, because usually games are where we get some more, you know, kind of sidelong EU material working into the saga. And I got to say that this year was very bipolar when it came to games. For non-video games, like tabletop games, card games, and stuff like that, this year was awesome for Star Wars. I mean, this was a year that was great for the Clone Wars, pretty good for home video releases, albeit a glut of them all at once. But in novels, a couple of shining ones, everything else, meh. In comics, same kind of thing. Some shining ones, some other stuff that was kind of meh. Again, the year that we were sort of striving towards mediocrity for a lot of different products that were out there. But when it comes to the non-video games this year, it was an awesome year. But then when it comes to the video games this year, it was god-awful. This was the year in which you might as well not even cover video games in many respects, but we will anyway. So, in the non-video game stuff, pretty much everything this year, all the big stuff, came through Fantasy Flight games. And we talked about this a little bit last year. Um, as of last year, we had the original, uh, I guess the box starter set for the Star Wars The Card Game, not to be confused with Star Wars Trading Card Game or Star Wars Customizable Card Game from Wizards of the Coast or Decipher, respectively, the Star Wars The Card Game LCG, Living Card Game. Uh, at the time, that first box set was out. It had starter decks in it for the Jedi Faction, the Imperial Navy Faction, the Sith Faction, and the Rebel Alliance Faction, plus a few extra cards with not much for the factions of Scum and Villainy and Smugglers and Spies. And basically... The big thing was the idea that, well, as this set expands, as this card game expands, it'll expand differently than most other card games do. The model of a living card game is pretty straightforward. Instead of it being like, let's say they want to do a card series about Hoth, which they did, they're not going to do like, say, Decipher did, and say, here's a new hundred and however many cards for Hoth. You're going to have to buy them in booster packs of, you know, five to twelve however many cards each, and pay two or three bucks per pack, and it's always completely random. And you never know how many packs it's going to take to get an entire set. In fact, you may buy booster boxes over and over again and still not get a, a complete set. I, when I started writing for the Wars franchise, for that Wars the Battle of Phobos novella series, I went through and picked up a ton of booster boxes of the Wars trading card game, which only had two sets, trying to get a complete set of all the cards to use as reference materials. I must have gotten between three and six booster boxes of both sets, and still am missing like two cards. Okay, it's kind of ridiculous the way that works, but that's what keeps people coming back and buying boosters over and over again to make money for the companies doing those types of card games. But it's very frustrating and a money sink for people who want to pick up that type of game. Well, the living card game model does something different. In their case, this year, their expansion, their biggest expansion was Hoth. But instead of having one big set with boosters that take cards from all over the set and you have to just randomly buy them hoping to get the cards you want, they have what are called cycles. In this case, the Hoth cycle of what are called force packs. And a force pack costs about 10 to 15 bucks, depending on what site you buy it from. And it's always going to have the exact same cards in it, no matter how many copies of the same force pack you buy. You always know exactly what you're getting. There's no randomness to it whatsoever. So to get all the cards from Hoth, there were six. They usually do them about one every two months. There were six force packs. The Desolation of Hoth, The Search for Skywalker, A Dark Time, Assault on Echo Base, The Battle of Hoth, and Escape from Hoth. 
And if you got all those, you got all of the different cards relating to the Hoth cycle. And this is another one where it's also easier to work in and put decks together because you don't have to pick cards individually one at a time, which I guess is what individually means. Uh, instead, what you do is you pick out what are called objective sets. There's an objective card, and then there's five cards that go with it. Characters, vehicles, weapons, whatever. But they go in in chunks, one objective set at a time, six cards at a time to build your deck. So deck building goes a little bit more quickly. So each of these gave you multiple objective sets. And since in the card game, you're only allowed two copies of any one objective set in your deck at any given time, a lot of these force packs, not all of them, but a lot of them gave you a duplicate copy of each one that was in it to make sure you didn't have to go and buy that force pack again to get a duplicate if you wanted to use two copies of that objective set within your decks. Um, a very nice way to go about doing it. I find it uh, very refreshing. It lets me collect them all, play with all of them without having to do the crazy buying of booster packs like I used to do with the CCG. Um, saves a lot of money and is just kind of a fun way to do it. But they also released two deluxe expansions this year. Remember I said that the starter game from last year didn't have much in the way of the factions for Smugglers and Spies, which is the light side faction to go along with Jedi and Rebel Alliance, or for Scum and Villainy, the dark side faction to go along with Sith and uh, Imperial Navy. Well, they released finally the deluxe expansion entitled Edge of Darkness. And that one um, had enough stuff in it for Scum and Villainy and for uh, Smugglers and Spies to be able to put together starter decks for each of those to work with, plus new ones for the other factions. It was a nice big expansion with a crap ton of cards all at once, specifically focusing mostly on those two factions that were shortchanged back in the original starter set. And then they put out a new one just very recently, just this month actually, all right, this month as of when we're recording this, December, um, Balance of the Force. And Balance of the Force was an expansion that turns this game that is generally a one-on-one -on -one game, one-player light side, one-player dark side, into a multiplayer game. Lots of new cool, well, lots of new cards, but I guess we'll have to get into what the cards actually are because it's not a normal type of expansion here. Basically, you got one new objective set, six cards, for each of the six factions in the game, three light side, three dark side. And it gave you rules about how to play not just a one-on-one -on -one game, but a two-on-two -two game, two light side versus two dark side. But then it gave you two different challenge decks, each of which are 59 cards. And these challenge decks give you a specific scenario. One's Jergerod's task, the Empire's trying to build the Death Star, the Rebels are trying to stop it, the Death Star 2. Um, the other one is the hunt for Skywalker. The Imperials are trying to find Luke after the events of uh, the Empire Strikes Back. Luke is trying to stay hidden from them. And what you do with that is one player plays with the challenge deck, and then whatever side is the opposing side, light side or dark side, depending on which challenge deck you use, it's set up so that one challenge deck player plays against two or three players using regular decks from the game for a multiplayer game that can have up to four people with sort of an unusual scenario that you can only play in a multiplayer perspective. The only downside being that none of the cards in either of those challenge decks can be used in regular decks. They even have different card backs and everything to distinguish them. So they've really gone gangbusters this year as far as expanding out the Star Wars card game. And these products, for the most part, haven't wound up getting much in the way of delays. There have been some... Uh, the next force pack for the beginning of the next cycle got pushed back into 2014. But by and large, this is the one that Fantasy Flight Games got out on time for the most part, you know, time after time. And it's a heck of a, it's a heck of a product. This is probably my favorite of all the products from uh, Fantasy Flight Games now that they've got the Star Wars license at this point. Uh, 
really cool stuff. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that on YouTube, I do do um, videos that look at each challenge deck and videos that look at each objective set as they come out to kind of catalog it um, for people who might be interested in the series. Really cool stuff. Yeah, I've collected uh, Marvel cards, Topps cards, uh, you know, some baseball cards, stuff like that, football cards. Uh, and and that that hunt that you're talking about, you know, that that trying to get them all. Oh man, that is probably the most head banging of tasks out there. I've also played Magic, uh, Magic the Gathering, and and sa- same thing there. You know, there's so many options and, and possibilities. Trying to hunt down just all of a certain style and stuff like that can become such a daunting task. That, that this is a, a very refreshing change. The fact that they give you the whole set all at once. Uh, the only reason why I haven't got it is is the same reason why I'm not playing Magic right now. It, it's just one of those games that my kids just aren't ready to get into. And when they are, I'm excited for it. I'm I'm waiting for it. But right now, they're just like, nah, I'd rather play the video games. So I've I've got no one to play this with. Now, this isn't something that, that you could really play by yourself. You really need another person, right? I mean... You could sort of do it solitaire, but it's the same kind of thing like if you played any other trading card game against yourself. I mean, it's not really the way it's meant. Kind of like chess, you know, it's not really meant to be played against yourself, but sometimes people do it. If you want to see how this game is played, I mean, I know I'm just, people are going to be like, he's plugging a bunch of stuff. Um, well, if you go it's on a YouTube, lot of good information there. Yeah. That's the, why the plug's there. If you go on YouTube, same channel, it's got all my other stuff on it. Uh, I guess it was last year, right after that starter set came out. I did a video using the starter decks or two of the starter decks to t- take you through a practice game of this game and show you how it all works. Now, granted, there's some new mechanics that have been added as it went along with these expansions, though really not all that much. So if you're interested in how the game plays, just go on there, go on the YouTube channel, check it out. The username was Chrono Radio. I know now they show it by a person's name, so you should be able to just look up Nathan Butler. Um, but it's one of those things where this is a game that it's kind of complex. But once you get into the rhythm of it, it works great. I mean, it's very much like, I guess, the Decipher CCG. There's a lot of rules there to begin with, but as you get into it, it all becomes second nature. It was only after a crap ton of expansions that the rules to the old CCG got so convoluted that even experts had to keep rule lists and errata lists beside them all the time. This one pretty much plays the same now as it did before, barring multiplayer, which is another good thing about it because you don't have to buy a particular force pack or a particular... Um, deluxe expansion to get some kind of rules update in order to play with the cards you already own. Yeah, it, it definitely sounds fun. Uh, at the same time, it does sound like it might be one of those that's a little hard to explain to a group of friends that just showed up. But man, I, from somebody who's played Magic with a, with a group of people, you know, these kind of games can be a lot of fun if you're playing with people that know what they're doing and are enjoying it as much as you are. Very much so. Uh, the second of the big product lines Fantasy Flight Games is putting out right now is the Star Wars X-Wing Miniatures game. Now, Wizards of the Coast had a miniature game back in the day. Uh, This is something new, and as of last year when we talked about this, giving a quick overview of everything, they had put out Wave 1. The idea here is that you have little miniatures of uh, different Star Wars starfighters and such, and you have cards that come with each pack, and those cards uh, get associated with an individual ship, and those cards represent individual pilots with different abilities, different talents, and that sort of thing. And you also upgrade your ships with different things to add into it and whatnot, you know, certain types of weapons and, you know, bonus features and stuff like that, you know, like a better hyperdrive or whatever. And it's basically like a lot of the other tabletop games out there. It's a combat game. Uh, ships trying to destroy each other, and you balance out both sides by starting with a certain number of points. And each 
uh, you know, upgrade that you use, each pilot that you use, have different uh, point values. And basically, you might say, we're going to play a 100-point game. Well, that keeps it sort of fair. So, you know, you may have a whole bunch of stuff in your collection to be able to play with, but you can only use 100 points worth of stuff in that game. So even somebody who doesn't own as much is going to have a fighting chance. Uh, but as of last year, they had put out the starter set, which has one X-Wing and two TIE Fighters, which are actually pretty even if you play the game. Um, one X-Wing, two TIE Fighters, and one set of pilot cards for each. Then you had the expansion packs, and each expansion pack has a new ship, plus some cards, you know, that, that give you the new pilots, plus the upgrade cards, you know, the little tokens and stuff that you might need to be able to play. Everything you need to play with that extra ship. And that Wave 1, though, was cool, yet kind of disappointing in that you had an extra uh, TIE Fighter expansion pack and an extra X-Wing expansion pack, which means that there were expansion packs that gave you two of the same ships that you got out of the starter set, but did give you new pilot cards, so it was useful to add to your roster. And then the two ships that weren't at all in the starter set were the Y-Wing and the TIE Advanced. And of course, they had their own pilot cards and whatnot. Again, this is another thing, if you go on the YouTube channel, every time these new ones come out, I run through the contents of every single pack in detail, along with what pilot cards are with it, what it looks like, everything, each time. I, I happened to be able, when the Fantasy Flight game started putting out this stuff, and I started collecting, and I realized I could do these from the ground floor, and as long as I don't ever stop doing it, you'll be able to find everything for the product lines there. I have no affiliation with Fantasy Flight games at all, just like the stuff. Um, but Wave 2 and Wave 3 both came out in 2013, and this has been some pretty good stuff. Uh, Wave 2 gave us the regular-sized, which we now know are small-sized uh, ships, kind of like last year's, of the A-Wing and the TIE Interceptor, with their respective pilots and such. But then it also introduced the so-called medium-sized ships. Um, you could sort of say that the base, that there's like a little plastic base and a little stand, and you stick the ship on top of the stand, okay? And the ship's maybe a little bit bigger around than the stand is, but not by a whole lot. The small ships, like the X-Wing and such, the stands are about the size of a quarter, between the size of a quarter and a half dollar. The stand sizes, to give you a sense of the ship sizes of the medium-sized ones, are a little bit bigger, if I'm picturing it right, than, say, an old-school silver dollar. Um, so, significantly bigger than the smaller ships. Wave 2 gave us two of these medium-sized vessels. The Millennium Falcon, which lets you bring in the YT-1300 into the fray, whether it's the Millennium Falcon or named something different. They just called it Millennium Falcon on the packaging, so, you know, people would buy it more. And Slave 1, which introduced the fire spray into the mix here. So you got these two bigger vessels and two smaller vessels, a nice mixture, half and half, in Wave 2. Then they put out Wave 3 later in the year, which gave us a 3-in-1 mix. There was one medium-sized vessel. That was for the Imperial player. It was the Lambda-class shuttle. Also, though, for the Imperial player in a smaller size, we got the TIE bomber. They pretty much run through all the different TIE variants that we saw in the actual films. For the Rebels, we got a B-wing. There's a lot of question as to what would be the other ship, because the A-wing's done, the Y-wing's done, the X-wing's done, the B-wing's now done. What's the other one going to be? Turns out, the new one, albeit another small-sized one, was the HWK-290, better known to many as the Moldy Crow, Kyle Katarn's ship, which does include a Kyle Katarn pilot card. So, we wind up getting basically eight new vehicles, three large and five small for X-Wing, all in the span of this one calendar year. Um, 
cool additions, adds some new uh, types of weapons to it, adds in some new things like adding crew members as opposed to just pilots to a vehicle, uh, giving a specific name to a ship, like this is just a YT-1300, this is the Millennium Falcon, which gives it special abilities but does cost points to use. Um, very cool setup, and we did learn that there are large vessels coming sometime in the future where you have to use two of the medium-sized stands just to hold up a large-sized vessel because they're that long, like Star Destroyers and the like. Uh, the downside, though, for X-Wing this year was that there were two products that were bumped back. There was a Starfield uh, tile kit, basically a bunch of little tiles that look like space that you could lay down on your table to basically make it look like they're actually fighting in space. Those apparently didn't meet their quality standards when they got back some of the prototypes, and they went back to the drawing board. So those still aren't released, um, but they are coming at some point. They also have a cool uh, two TIE Interceptor set coming called Imperial Aces. It has uh, like a, a, a TIE Interceptor that's painted like the Imperial uh, 181st. There's another one painted like the this is the Crimson Guard type thing. Or not Crimson Guard, the Red Guard. Crimson Guard is G.I. Joe. Uh, the Red Guard type ship and everything. Um, the downside with that, though, being that that one was delayed into 2014 as well. But still, you know, coming from 2012, when this was all introduced, having only four different versions of ships, to now having a total of 12 options when you're building your squadrons, that's a pretty nice expansion. And they came out months apart so that it was a little bit more affordable um, out there for those of us who are actually trying to collect these things. Fun game to play, but even if you don't play that game... Um, it's cool to have these just on the shelves. They make nice little display pieces, though not necessarily as sturdy as some of those die-cast things that you can get out there. See, and I, and I collect those die-casts. I love those die-casts. They, they were fun toys. They hold up well. That's the one aspect about this I really like. I like the quality, the attention to detail that they've done here. Uh, the Millennium Falcon was excellent. In fact, uh, Insider Magazine... Props to them. I just got the recent one, and they were going over these, and they actually had some ship layouts in the magazine. I was, like, pretty excited about that. I haven't seen that since Gamers, so I was pretty tickled that, that through this game, we're kind of getting back to that, where we're going to get to see the insides of some of these ships and stuff. But, yeah, that, that side of it, I am so excited about. Some of my favorite collectibles are the figurines of the ships, and the fact that they're actually paying attention to the scaling and these next ones that are going to come out and how much bigger they are... The price tag is the only thing about it that's the negative. I mean, but you get what you pay for here, though. So, I mean, there's that balance. Like, how much is it worth it to you to get them? I've gone down to Barnes & Nobles. I've seen the Millennium Falcon. I've seen the Slave One. And they are glorious. I would love to have these things. I just, for me right now, I've got other priorities that I would rather spend my money on. I'm still like, you know, I want to get the uh, Bounty Hunters code. I want to, you know, upgrade some of my stuff here, uh, you know, for the podcast, things like that. So I'm like, you know, I'm trying to pick and choose what kind of things I'm investing in. But gosh, man, if these ever come down to a really good price or if they do some special sales or something like that, these would be such a great thing to go and pick up. If I had people that, you know, like I say, if my kids were older and they were into playing these kind of games, I would probably rush out and get them because these are just the detail is there. They look like so much fun to play with the kids. But my kids aren't, they'd rather just play video games right now. So it's like, well, just, I'm going to wait. And it sucks because I want them so bad. There's this, that side of me that collected the, the titanium, you know, ones that I'm just like, I got to have them up there with them because they look glorious. But the price tag, man, it gets back and forth. You know, what, what can you justify to get? And right now I can't justify getting it as much as I would love to. What he's talking about there about the Insider, by the way, if you pick up the newest issue of Insider, number 146 with the Boba Fett cover, 
There's an article starting on page 26. It's actually the third article in a series uh, by Brian Young. A really cool series of articles, by the way, that looks at the impact of the role-playing games and those role-playing game companies on the Star Wars Expanded Universe. The first one looked at West End Games two issues ago. Last issue it looked at Wizards of the Coast. This one looks at Fantasy Flight Games. So it's got a lot of stuff in it where you can see examples of these vehicles. Though ironically, or weirdly, um, they show four different cards at different points in that article, and none of those cards are actually pilot cards for this. So you never get a chance to see what the pilot cards actually look like in the issue. Those cards are actually ones... Um, that are in the RPG stuff. Which brings us to the last of the non-video game game stuff for Star Wars this time around. Also for Fantasy Flight Games, because they're the ones with the non-video game license. Their role-playing game. You may recall that they took the role-playing game and split it up into three different lines that can all be played together, which all have a different focus. You have Edge of the Empire, which was the first one out that was sort of more of the fringe element and the Outer Rim type stuff. Then you got Age of Rebellion, and then you've got Force and Destiny. This year, it really, again, kind of went gangbusters. 2012 gave us the beta rulebook, the work-in-progress rulebook, for Edge of the Empire where you could submit feedback, uh, but then, of course, the beta ended, and those became unavailable after that. Just a paperback thing, not a lot of art in it. Basically a work-in-progress to give folks a chance to check it out and to be able to get sort of a collectible item there. They did put out in 2012 the Edge of the Empire beginner game, which was really cool. It had all kinds of uh, maps and stuff in it, character tokens and such, and a scenario that gave you the rules of the game without a lot of depth, kind of the basic surface level. And then it gave you a scenario where you could go through an adventure with your friends, but as you go through the adventure, it would give you little bits to teach you how to play and stuff to read out loud to teach others how to play. I thought that was pretty cool. As a teacher, that was a really neat feature of that beginner game set. But that was all that they gave us in 2012. Um, people were expecting... Edge of the Empire to start having other products come out sooner, but they didn't. They got to uh, push back and push back until finally it really started hitting a big time in 2013. In 2013, we got the core rule book, the hardback, finished, gigantic, and expensive core rule book for Edge of the Empire. Then on June 15th, actually the day I was getting married, on RPG Day, apparently it's RPG Day, it's like a weird like geek holiday thing, um, they had a free adventure they put out, which is also now available online, called Shadows of a Black Sun. They put out a Game Master kit that has a Game Master screen that you can put up uh, with some helpful charts and stuff on it and whatnot, and a, an adventure included in there to use with the characters, to use with your uh, your player's characters. They put out a role-play dice pack to give you another set of dice to go along with it. Um, you'd have to get that to play the game if you only got the core rulebook. It's the exact same number and type of dice as if you got the beginner game. So there's no need to buy it if you've already got the beginner game, frankly, though it might be nice to have an extra set of dice around. They put out the Beyond the Rim adventure, which is kind of cool. It's an adventure to find this long-lost separatist ship called the Sa-Naleor and what happened to it, the mystery there and such. An entire book that's one big adventure. Then, just recently, we had the release of a source book specifically for explorer-type characters called Enter the Unknown. Uh, basically a source book, not a ton of a new EU information, though there is a little bit. And they put out some print-on-demand card sets, which is actually what you're seeing if you see the cards in that Insider article, that basically just have different uh, features of the characters, things that you might add to the characters as you're developing them. And they're just cards to help you make sure that you've got all your abilities at hand instead of having to keep referencing back to a chart and referencing back to the book. Um, probably the biggest news to come out of Edge of the Empire 
or, or of the uh, RPG for Fantasy Flight games this year, other than the core rulebook being released for Edge of the Empire, though, is that they had another beta rulebook finally released, this time for Age of Rebellion. So the beta and the new game mechanics have been shown for the second of their three RPG lines, the one that's going to focus on the conflict between the Empire and the Rebellion. Uh, we're expecting to see the hardback release of the core rulebook for Edge of Rebellion and its subsequent materials all being released sometime in 2014. So again, a huge expansion, but this one, beyond any of the other ones, this is the one that's really the most expensive to pick up, as RPGs often are. Um, the only way that I'm now affording to be able to do this is I'm getting these just to use them for the EU material to make sure I put stuff on the Star Wars timeline gold and such. So what I'll do is I'll actually pick up the book. I'll do it through Miniature Market, which is going to give me a, a little bit of a discount because they tend to discount kind of like Amazon does. It winds up paying enough to cover the, uh, discounting enough to cover the shipping pretty much. Get those, go through them, read them, get the information I need for the timeline. And as soon as I'm done, I got a friend of mine who wants to buy them but is not worried about getting them right as they come out. So as soon as I get the information into the timeline, I then turn around and sell it to him, and he essentially gets a deeper discount on it, and basically it winds up with me sort of more or less paying like a rental fee to have the thing in the first place and get the information for the timeline. I don't keep it, but I wind up you know getting back some of the money that I spent on it. He winds up getting it to keep it for less than even getting it through something like Miniature Market would be. It, it works out there, but man, the prices on some of these, if you don't go through a discounter like Miniature Market, like Amazon... They can really, really kick your butt, especially that core rule book. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things where when I think back, because I've got a lot of role playing games for the same reasons. You know, I like to, the background information. I don't know enough people to play these type of things. Again, that's just where I live. It, it's hard to find these people. And if they're somewhere, they're hiding very well. Uh, but yeah, the prices before were always expensive. So, I mean, I, I get the, the higher price. Uh, it's something that I've been interested in, but. Again, I just I haven't been able to afford it. Um, I think if I had to spend you know fifty sixty bucks on something like that, I think I'd rather get the bounty hunter code right now. Uh, so it, it makes it hard to go out and rush out and buy these things when the price tag starts jumping above thirty bucks. It, it's time to kind of slow down on how many you're buying at a time. Uh, you know, I mean, you buy three, you're almost at a hundred dollars here. Uh, that's that's where it gets a little more difficult when it comes to weighing what you like here. I mean, yeah, it's got a plethora of really cool information, but is it information that's going to be relevant to your fandom? That you have to ask yourself. Uh, you know, again, I get back to that aspect of, of the fans that have friends that play these games with you. Cherish those moments because, you know, you may live in a place now where you've got people that, that want to do that kind of stuff. But it's so quick and easy to find yourself in a place where nobody touches that kind of stuff. And most of the people that do are more into Dungeons and Dragons. They don't really care about the Star Wars ones. And, you know, you're, you're here. You want to do it for the Star Wars angle. And, you know, that's something that, that, that if you don't have it, you're never going to really understand the, the allure of it. Um, I've never actually got to sit down and play a role playing game. So I, you know, beyond like board games where you do similar, uh, I think Heroes Quest is one I had, but that that's about it. I mean, you know, I don't know anybody that knows how to play these games. I mean, like, I could read the rule books, but it's like playing chess by yourself. It's just no fun. And as I mentioned the prices here, let me run down, like, what kind of prices you're looking at. These products, uh, all the Fantasy Flight Games product stuff, it, to be fair, as cool as they are, you are paying a price for that coolness. Um for Edge of the Empire in particular, for instance, you can't get the beta for it anymore. You can't get the beta for uh, Age of Rebellion anymore unless you go somewhere like eBay. 
But if you're paying full price, the beginner game for Edge of the Empire that was released last year is $30, bucks, basically $29.95. I'll just round them here. The core rulebook for Edge of the Empire, the hardback that came out this year, $60 for the core rulebook. Um, the Beyond the Rim Adventure, $30. Bucks. The Game Master Kit, $20. Bucks. Uh, Into the Unknown, the Sourcebook, $30. Bucks. You also have a couple other Sourcebook type things that are out there uh, for pre-order already right now. Dangerous Covenants is out for pre-order. Cover price, uh, $30. Bucks. That's another Sourcebook for a type of character, Hired Guns. And then there is a Corellian Sector source book out there coming for 40 bucks called Sons of Fortune. Um, if you are someone who's out there looking into the Star Wars LCG, uh, the card game, uh, the core set that you have to have to play, 40 bucks. Each force pack, about 15, uh, 14.95. Uh, there's six of them, of course, out now. There are three out there for pre-order for the next series of force packs are going to be out there heroes and legends knowledge and defense uh, lore of the dark side are the three and both of those deluxe expansions that is the uh, edge of darkness with those two other factions in it uh, and balance of the force the one that does the multiplayer stuff both of those 30 bucks as far as uh, the sets themselves go as for the x-wing stuff if you plan on picking up any of that stuff the starter set that you need to be able to play anything because it's got all the little rulers and stuff like that, that you need to hit the rules and everything uh, plus literally rulers to you know handle your movement of your ships and all um that set is 40 bucks you can generally find it discounted online of course and you can find those often at target of all places as for the expansion packs that are one ship each with the cards and everything to go with it, the small ships, which I kind of delineated a little bit ago, those all tend to run about 15 bucks, and the medium-sized ships like the Millennium Falcon and such tend to run about 30 bucks. So what I would suggest with any of these materials, any of this stuff from Fantasy Flight Games, uh, you know, high-quality stuff, but also pretty expensive stuff, I would suggest going through somewhere like MiniatureMarket.com, CoolStuffInc.com, I mean, anywhere like that. Because usually, if you buy just one thing, it'll be discounted enough, kind of like through Amazon, where you'll get enough discounted to at least cover the shipping. So you're basically paying cover price, but not paying extra for shipping. Uh, if you do something where you buy them in groups, like I tend to buy the X-Wing stuff one wave at a time. In that case, you get them all discounted, but then the shipping, because it's all combined together, is actually less than the discount and you wind up managing to save yourself a little bit of money. But it's one of these things where if you want to get into it, understand you're going to be sinking a little bit of cash into it, and you want to play strategically with how you're going to do that. It's kind of like when you're buying Star Wars books. If you're still buying them full price from a regular bookstore and not through Amazon or somewhere where you can get free shipping on certain types of orders, then you're kind of doing yourself a disservice, although thankfully helping out those brick-and-mortar bookstores still out there. Uh, your favorite local game shop in this case. Yeah. Now, with the RPG stuff, Edge of the Empire and stuff, do they have ship layouts and things like that and, and class backgrounds or maybe new alien species and things like that that like some of the older RPG books have? Uh, kind of. What, as far as species goes, that's going kind of slowly. You get a handful of species with the original uh, Edge of the Empire set. You got a handful of species for the Age of Rebellion beta, and then the new species that they entered into everything just recently for player characters was in that Enter the Unknown book. Um, you don't get a lot of different alien species just being briefly profiled. They tend to be ones that, I mean, there, there's a few, like Gamorreans and such, but if you want in-depth profiles, they tend to wait until they can set you up with the full background so you can play a character of that species. As for ship layouts and stuff like that, not layouts per se, 
except in the case of the beginner game where they give you the layout of the crate fang ship, uh, like Y2-1300. But you do get a lot of background on different um, vehicles, different vessels, different uh, weapons, and other technology that you could use with your characters, kind of like you would in the old source books. For instance, Enter the Unknown, which is the one that's just most recent in my head. I just put the timeline stuff on there last night. Um, has background on some ships that include a little bit of new information, um, different technologies like uh, things that explorers might use, a little bit of new information there, but not anything like you would expect from, say, like a Blueprints type of book. But then again, in a lot of cases, you didn't get that with the old West End games or Wizards of the Coast stuff either. It was somewhat rare to get floor layouts and stuff like yeah. that, although it did happen. Well, typically when you did get it, it was like one section of the ship and stuff like that. Very rarely did you get a small tramp freighter or anything like that. Uh, when we move into video games, though, do you know, I'm pretty sure all the cancellation stuff happened last year. Or did we have First Assault get canceled this year? You know, it was all within that whole Disney restructuring with Lucasfilm, I, I, or LucasArts, I think it was last year. But I mean, we have First Assault is gone, of course. Um, we have uh, Star Wars 1313 is gone. We have the new Battlefront coming, but that's not until later. Um, this year, this was not a good year for Star Wars video games, unless you are the casual gamer. And I don't even mean like the casual gamer on a console, usually. I mean like the casual gamer who only tends to game very much on their iPhone type of gamer. Um... We did have a couple of the ongoing Star Wars MMOs out there continue to put out new content. Uh, the Old Republic got an expansion called Rise of the Hut Cartel, adding new material in there. Of course, uh, the Old Republic last year went free-to-play, so now uh, you're paying for uh, microtransactions and getting stuff to help you out, as opposed to doing things where you have to actually pay for the game itself, um, as far as being able to play it all. You know, it, it added to that, but that's sort of a game that, at this point... Two things stand against it. One is it's been out for a while, so now it's just the expansions. The end game content added on after the main game uh, starts to wrap up. You've got the stigma that's attached to it sometimes as a free-to-play game, as if somehow by starting as a pay-to-play game, now going free-to-play is like an admission of defeat, which it really isn't. It's just a different business model. And you've got the fact that it is a PC-only game. Uh, when I think of Star Wars video games and the heyday of them, they've had a great success on PC. X-Wing, TIE Fighter, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, the Dark Forces Jedi Knight series, uh, at least the first couple that were only on PC, uh, or only on computers. But nowadays, when we think of video gaming, usually people think of the consoles. They think of either last generation, uh, the Wii, the PlayStation 3, and the Xbox 360, or this generation that has just started, the Wii U, yes, it counts as next generation, at least for Nintendo, um, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. And we don't have a lot of big releases for any of the consoles for Star Wars at this point. And the fact that The Old Republic is not a console RPG or MMO, I think it will always be something that sets it apart so much that it often gets lost in the shuffle when you're talking about Star Wars video games. I mean, it's a great game, but it's getting lost in the shuffle because of the whole PC angle. I am one of those many people who, you know, I, a perfect example. My old computer, I wanted to play The Old Republic, couldn't play it, didn't have the specs to be able to run it. My new computer, it has the specs to run it, but then when I try playing one of my favorite console MMOs, uh, Defiance, on PC, nope, not powerful enough to run Defiance on it. To me, I will never be a PC gamer ever again. 
because I have moved through the era in which I, through having multiple computers over my lifetime, have always had to struggle with, well, will this game play on my PC or will it not? PCs may be the highest form of gaming when it comes to the equipment and how high-end it is before it comes out on consoles, but I'm sorry, you will never see me become a PC gamer again because I'm tired of buying crap that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So no, I'm in the same boat there. I've got the galaxies, uh, the the jump to light speed. Never played them ever. I have them because I wanted them. I want to know what was on them, but never would play. I got a whole bunch of older games that I still can't play. I mean, I I did play them at the time, but most of them it was such a pain in the hiney to do it that now I'm in that spot where I'm like, well, I would love to go back and play them now, but my computers are so high tech that they won't go back to that old technology to play them. I'm like, ah, are you kidding me? But when it comes to the old republic. I would love to see them take, like, maybe make a new level or or just, like, take, like, a collection of, like, four or five levels. that Like, like, like look at the Clone Wars, how they did it with certain episodes and they put it together. Put out a console version of just, like, one aspect of the game or, you know, a new level for the game that's only for the consoles or something like that. That would be cool. Also, on computers, but not on consoles, we have the other MMO out there that's forgotten even more easily than the Old Republic by a lot of people. That is Clone Wars Adventures. Clone Wars Adventures hasn't really seemed to be putting out a lot of new content since the end of the Clone Wars on television. If you go through their news, and I I have only played this as a trial version. I haven't played it since then. But if you go, actually, it wasn't even the trial version. I was a beta tester. Um, You go through and look at their news articles, and most of the news is just about sales and such. If you go back, you know, further towards the end of the year than, say, May, uh, right around the time that the cartoon series was ending. But they have a new feature, a relatively new feature, which is Card Assault, which is a digital card game that you can play, kind of like when Galaxies did its own Galaxies trading card game, the digital card game where you had to play through Galaxies and such. Um, So they're both still out there, and they're both still putting out new content, uh, and from what I'm hearing from all circles, it is quality new content. It's just that these are not console games, so there's a big chunk of the video game market that it's missing. Boy, Clone Wars Adventures, I almost forgot that game was even out there. Yeah, I remember when the beta came out, uh, checking it out. My son would play it for a little while, but most of the, the cool stuff you wanted to do, it wouldn't let him or he had to pay to do it or he needed to have points, and he finally he just grew bored of it. And I don't think he's been back. That brings us to the stuff that actually is multi-platform and did come, in some cases, though not all, to consoles. But man, this is not core gaming uh, for many Star Wars fans, and it certainly isn't giving us much in the way of new stories. Uh, Those two are Angry Birds Star Wars, getting its sequel, Angry Birds Star Wars 2. That one has the telepods and everything we'll get into, and its companion on, you know, kind of casual, extremely casual gaming side, Star Wars Pinball, which is released both as a standalone and as an addition to Zen Pinball 2, different tables you can add in. Uh, basically, Angry Birds Star Wars 2 is the one that introduces those telepods. Uh, with Angry Birds Star Wars 2, uh, think Disney Infinity. Think Skylanders, in that you might be playing the game and want to use a particular bird uh, as one of your ones to attack, you know, the little pig, imperial, whatever targets and such. Um, but you might not have it in your repertoire for that level. So what do you do? You go out and buy a little Angry Birds Star Wars 2 toy with a telepod. You stick it on this little stand and stick it on the camera on your phone or on your iPad or whatever. And it basically 
takes that character, recognizes it, and pulls it into the game for you. Just like putting a little toy on the little stand for Skylanders or something like that. Um, it's a huge marketing push toy-wise for Star Wars playing into this game. Um, it basically means that most of the time when you go into the toy section of uh, any type of major store looking for Star Wars stuff, you're going to see a tiny bit of maybe the Black Series and pretty much everything else is Angry Birds Star Wars. Uh, this angered a lot of people at some of the big uh, toy fair type events when they came out and most of the stuff they showed was just freaking Angry Birds all the time. Um, as for Star Wars Pinball, that's a multi-platform release. You can get it for, uh, gosh, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360. You can get it on the Vita. You can get it on the 3DS. You can get it on the Wii U. You can play it off the computer. You can play it on uh, mobile devices. Um, it's, it's pinball with themed tables based on Star Wars. The initial game comes with a Boba Fett table, the Clone Wars cartoon series-based table, and a table based on The Empire Strikes Back. And then there's the Balance of the Force expansion for it, not to be confused with the card one for the LCG. That one includes three new tables, one based on Return of the Jedi, one called Starfighter Assault, and one based around Darth Vader, just like the themed one for Boba Fett from that first grouping. Um, Angry Birds Star Wars 2, interesting concept with the whole telepods thing, though I'm not buying them. Um, and... You know, decent game. I mean, it's Angry Birds-themed Star Wars. I'm not sure we needed a 2 when we already had the first one out there that was pretty good. Um, but it's all right. And then Star Wars Pinball, I mean, it's pinball, but it's a cool pinball game. But this is not what Star Wars gamers are looking for. We're not looking for these types of uber-casual games when we're talking about Star Wars video games, especially in relation to the EU. Yeah, that's one of those things where, you know, casual gamers... They're probably going to be enjoying this. I'm not a casual gamer in that regard anymore. I don't care about pinball. My pinball days are behind me. My son may care for pinball, but I'm not buying this one. He was more into the Angry Birds. That's why I got those on my phone. That, too, is a game that, well, you know, it's fun. It's just not my cup of tea. And when I go down to the toy store for Sithmas gifts and I'm looking around and all I can find are the Angry Bird everything and a few of the Black Series, although most of them are ones that, that you probably already got, because there's only about seven or eight of them out there, it, I don't know, it, it just boggles my mind. I go down there, and it just seems like the toy store, the local ones for where I'm at, the supply has just shrunk. We, I, there are still those 3D glasses of the Episode 1 figures and stuff still sitting on the shelves. Those haven't sold. I have never seen a Darth Malgus come through, a Darth uh, Plagueis come through. Uh, the, the she Vizsla, uh, she Vizsla, she hasn't come through. Longers that did come down the line just never hit my store. And I think that that's a part of the problem with the with the Star Wars toy line is that you had all these toys coming out, but they just weren't being shipped anywhere. It's like, so, so what? Vegas got them. L.A. got them. New York got them. Who else? I mean, no one else seemed to see the things. Oh, they must have saved them all for the conventions because, yeah, the toy market, it dried up two years ago. I, I'm literally looking at the toys that have been on the shelf for the last two years. The only thing new, Angry Birds. And honestly, it was a fun game, but toy-wise, I was cleaning my son's room the other day, and I just started throwing out the Angry Birds stuff. I'm like, you know, this, this foam Darth Vader bird head, what's he using it for? He got it because another friend liked Angry Birds, and they got it for him because it was a ball. It's like, it's shaped like Darth Vader's head. He never does anything with it. So I finally just threw it away. I'm like, this is just pointless. I mean, it's not even fun. He doesn't like it. It just sits in the corner. and you know, that, that's the problem with this is that this is a fad. These are fad type games and they will die off. And when they die off, we're going to have nothing else because we have shifted away from really cool stuff to go towards this crap. 
And the telepod's another example of that. It's like, oh, hey, it's working on these other games. And, yeah, it's great for your kids. But once your kid gets over 10, he's going to stop caring about it. I mean, this isn't Pokemon. Well, maybe it is. Maybe they will continue to like it. But then we're going to create a generation of kids always playing with their stupid little telepods. I don't know. I just, it's not my cup of tea. And I just, it irks me that because this cup of tea is so successful that they're canceling doing all the other stuff. I mean, I I can look online and see these really cool toys like the Darth Plagueis, but I can't find them in any local stores. And that is just irritating beyond relief because I'm going to multiple towns. You know, I'm not just sitting in my own town. I'm going to other ones. And the Toys R Us's and the Targets and stuff there are just as bare bones. I mean, I told my wife, I said, I'm just ready to just start doing all my shopping online. I wanted Mm -hmm. a a Chewbacca Wookiee stuffing or (laughs) stuffing stocking for Christmas. That's what I wanted. They had them at Target, went down there. They don't have any of them down at the Target I live at. I'm like, I should have just stayed at home, saved the gas money, and just bought it online. Because that that's really what it's coming down to for some of these things. Like, if you don't live in a big city where this stuff is just being shipped to, you're never going to see it. Never. You're going to see old stuff that's still sitting on the shelf that the store is trying to push away, and they're not going to buy anything new until that old crap gets sold. I'm sorry, Walmart. We're not going to buy the old crap because we already have three copies of it. You bought way too much 30 years ago, and now we're sitting on it. 30s gross over exaggeration but that's just how frustrated i am you know i wanted to go out and get my kids some really cool stuff and most of the stuff was dried up and gone and it just the stuff that was there is stuff that i could have bought two years ago and that's just so beyond frustrating when you're in the middle of the sithmas season oh i just yeah and i'm done (laughs) it's like they say and and this is certainly something i've heard many places before and not something i'm trying to coin but the old saying uh star wars angry birds makes for angry star wars nerds um I, I will say, though, for in the defense of some retailers, there are some that are putting out this stuff. You'll see it every great once in a while. Um, part of why I don't do the, the figure collecting, aside from the fact that they're all pretty expensive relative to what I would pay for an action figure, is just the fact that it's so hard to get full sets. Because in many cases, you got to go online or buy an entire case of something you know, because they, they put only a certain number of each type in the case, and some are more rare than others and such. Um, hence, getting, you know, websites where you can buy the cases, thank goodness, but then also scalpers on eBay and such. Um, uh, it, it becomes a, a crazy hunt to try to find these things. But I will say that my local Target, I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing. My local Target, I live in Fairburn, Georgia, so my local Target is basically Peachtree City, Georgia. It's about 10 miles down the road from where I live here. Um, Huge amounts of Angry Birds Star Wars stuff, okay? Star Wars barely gets its own little section anymore, frankly, compared to all the other toys that are out there. But a huge chunk of Angry Birds Star Wars stuff. But what I found is that most of the time when I go in there, I can find a full set of the current wave of the the big 6-inch or whatever it is, Black Series stuff. Uh, I walk in, and it, it's only one set. It's one of each, and that's all they've got. But if you were to go in there, you could buy that full wave, and that's it. First, it was the original wave. Now, it's the one that's got, like, the Slave Leia and stuff in it. But beyond that, all the stuff that's hanging on the pegs are the so-called peg warmers. It's the stuff that's been sitting there for ages. So it's kind of weird. It it seems as though, you know, the retailers are stuck, you know, because they got all this product that they're trying to sell. But it's the stuff that didn't sell before, and now they're trying to get it out there. It's not even selling at clearance prices. 
But they're either going to have to eat some of the cost of that to put out new stuff or it, have it taking up space. So I, I would not want so to be a retailer right now in the toy market, quite frankly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that about wraps up toys and stuff like that. We do have some announcements that came out in 2013. Uh, you know, I'm one where announcements, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm leery to, to get out excited because what's announced today could be canceled tomorrow. That's right. That, the announcement uh, of J.J. Abrams, the director of Episode 7, and the release date of Episode 7 being in December of 2015, which was a big deal because it's not May, uh, along with the quasi-announcement, oh, it won't have the 20th Century Fox fanfare. Really? No S-word, Sherlock. Uh, it's not 20th Century Fox that's making it. Duh. Um, we also found uh, more about Rebels. Rebels uh, being announced and the idea that it is coming in 2014, how it'll be set up and get kind of trickles of information about Rebels. And we also had the confirmation that apparently the Clone Wars bonus content, those episodes that were being finished up, that weren't part of seasons one through five or the film, those are going to be coming in early 2014, though there is some question still as to how we're going to get that content. I mean, all big news, the biggest I think of which being just that, you know, Rebels is going to be coming in 2014, at least for someone who looks at Star Wars as a whole. But I feel, I mean, honestly, we are two years out, uh, basically in the same month now, two years out from a new Star Wars film. We are about a year out from a new Star Wars cartoon series. And I kind of feel like, I mean, maybe this is just me having rose-colored glasses when I look back at um, the, the last time there were new Star Wars films coming out. But it feels as though we haven't really got a lot of information Yes, I mean, I know they're still doing casting and whatnot, but it feels like two years out, I used to think that we got more information by this point. You know, I, there's going to be a glut, of course, of all kinds of information, maybe in that last six months toward release of all these things. But I would have thought we would have seen at least a little bit more at this point. Um, though, again, that, that, that may just be me having faulty memory of it all looking oh, back. Oh, and it's all I it's all information that I'm kind of excited about, but at the same time... All they say is basically, it's coming. And that, to me, is not enough to get excited about. You know, people are like, like, J.J. Abrams doing episode seven. They either love it or hate it. And I'm thinking, I liked some of his stuff. I liked the new Star Trek films. But we know nothing about these new films. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure if I should be excited or not. You know, Rebels. Who are the characters going to be? How is it going to affect continuity? Will it be part of the continuity or not? Will it be a separate series? Are they going to separate things out with the new films and such? What's going to happen with the EU? Oh, Clone Wars bonus materials. Wonderful. Should be neat to see. You say it'll shake things up. Be interesting to see how that shakes things up and how they're going to fit it in. But, oh, wait, you're going to announce when it's coming out right before you put out the seasons one through five set so that probably there's going to be another set to buy at some point. And, oh, you're probably going to only release it, if they said at one point, through a Disney app on Apple TV. Thank goodness I have one, but I don't know. It just it seems as though this was a year of a lot of announcements, but not a lot of substance to them in a lot of ways. It was all, get ready, it's coming, and yeah. we're still kind of getting ready. Yeah, and everybody gets all excited. I, I'm with you on that. I, I feel like the news that we got a few years ago was a lot more detail-oriented, whereas this is, yeah, they'll all get ready. Get ready, here it comes. Are you ready? We're getting closer. And... I just, I'm not buying that. I mean, I, there's that 
aspect, like you said, with, with JJ, you know, I like Lost. I like the Star Trek films. But beyond that, I, I don't know what it's going to look like. Yeah, he used a lot of lens flares. Yeah, it got a little distracting. But at the same time, yeah, he also admits, hey, I get it. I'm not going to do that. I, I don't know. I, I go back and forth. In the announcements and stuff, it's like, I, I just kind of wonder if this is a Disney thing. Like, they're just so much more tight-lipped on their stuff that they've kind of forced Lucasfilm to step back from the amount of announcements that they did. And, you know, the, the reason why I get worried about this is because there are announcements that back when they said Lucas is selling Star Wars, we still haven't got answers to. What does that mean for the EU? We still don't know. We have to wait till 2015. We have to wait till the movie comes out to find out what's going to happen to the future of our books. That is asinine. That is such a dropped ball, complete fail. on. Lu- I mean, I, I get that there are bigger powers involved that there's more money hanging in the balance here but come on you know think about what you're doing to your fans here the people that have been buying this stuff year in year out and now they're just waiting i mean you didn't make the gamers wait that long before you told them no we're just neutering you i don't know i get a little irritated one thing i think we can say though is that 2014 the year as it begins is going to be a huge one for star wars news as we're heading into episode 7 in 2015 it'll be a huge year for Clone Wars, with us getting the bonus content to wrap things up, they're a huge year in terms of Star Wars in general with Rebels coming. Um, though, I gotta wonder how things are going to pan out as far as it being a year in Star Wars books and comics. If this year was the year things were winding down in some ways as we hold our breaths, waiting to see what happens with the contracts going forward, I gotta wonder what we're going to see in 2014, given how much stuff seems to have been canceled or otherwise Put on hold, but 2014 is certainly going to be an interesting year, and I look forward to a year from now being here to do our year in review of the year about to begin. Yeah, I definitely feel 2014 is going to be a ramping up year because 2015 is going to be probably one of the biggest years in fandom. Uh, I, I mean, there, you're only going to have so many of these moments here. Although you know, we could be looking at it every year from here on out, but that I think. If we do literally have a new Star Wars film every single year from from 2015 on, 2015 is going to be the biggest year because that's going to be what kicks it all off. And 2014 with Rebels coming out is the ramp up to that. I mean, we're going to start seeing, like you said, more information will be coming out. And as we get into 15, especially, that's going to be the heyday. Granted, the side of us, me and you, Nathan, the EU fans, we're going to be like kind of, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, we'll be all excited, but like, well, we still haven't had that news about what's going on with the books. And we've got lots of rumors and all sorts of fan sites speculating, but what's going on? So there's that side of me that's a little trepidatious still, but the excitement level is, is there. I mean, you know, you can't get around that, even though the films may be knocking books left and right. We're getting more films, which means that this universe is going to be growing regardless. And even if they do cancel or or stop putting out books further in the EU, I truly, truly believe there are enough fans out there that will demand that that continue, whether it be, you know, a year, four years or five years, maybe even 10 years later. I truly think that there's enough of us out there to say, hey, we want to know what's going to happen with Sword of the Jedi. We want to know what's going to happen with Ablis. We want to know what happened with the Ten Knights. Did they find the Dagger of Mortis? You know, things like that. There are, there are questions out there in the EU that we have, the C-level canon, that we want to know. EU fans that, that live in C-level canon, film canon isn't enough. I'm sorry, you 
folks out there that love having your small little cannon and having it all line up some of the time. You know, there's a bigger story out there, and there are a lot of us fans that like that one just as much, that we don't want to see it die. I mean, imagine if you were told today that the film cannons were going to be scrapped for something new. I'm pretty sure you'd freak out, too. So don't judge me. Well, that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you for hanging around with us as we bonder on, sharing the fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook page at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It is one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans, so if you have any Star Wars and or EU questions, or if you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. And of course, if you want to check out the Amazon.com shop my wife and I run, it is Amazon.com slash shops slash Lil Joe Collectibles, L-I-L-J-O Collectibles. Uh, you can find the Star Wars Timeline Gold on Facebook, Facebook.com slash SW Timeline Gold. You can find Rebels Roundtable, the show that is going to be beginning when Rebels begins with a combination of Star Wars Beyond the Films and Republic Forces Radio Network, folks. You can find it at Facebook.com slash Rebels Roundtable or on Twitter at Rebels Round. And uh, for those of you who have been keeping up with the craziness of the uh, medical bills situation, everything going on here. Uh, I do appreciate all the donations that folks have made. Uh, if you want to make one, it's Nathan at StarWarsFanWars.com through uh, PayPal. We're sort of sitting on the edge right now, waiting to make sure that she has insurance coverage for the next year because apparently there was something that the website for us to put everything into for the State Health Benefit Plan of Georgia. Um, there was documentation that they want that they never actually asked for. So we're trying to make sure that uh, we don't have to get any lawyers involved to make sure that she is covered for this year. But uh, keep up with all the insanity over on the page for the show here. Um, uh, we thank you guys for all the support over the last year. It's been uh, it's been very um, uplifting to us, to say the least. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because, Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months, no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying, thanks for listening and... May the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that we will see new announcements of books and comics in 2014. Or if they'll just kind of fade away as we wait for new contracts. What are the odds that they decide that we're going to go forward with two universes? Or that somebody finally shows up on the doorstep of Disney and says, Effing telepods!
This, of course, brings us to our contest for this episode. In celebration of our 100th episode, episode to episode this year, uh, as we go along, we are giving away various uh, products, Star Wars and otherwise. So far, we've put up uh, Crucible and Mercy Kill and a copy of Greater Good signed, and uh, both versions of the Wars Battle of Phobos Preludes book that has my first war story in it, Healers and Hunters. Now, we swivel back around to another Star Wars item. In this case... You can win yourself a hardback copy of Scoundrels by Timothy Zahn. Yes, the first Timothy Zahn book that I actually thought was worth checking out since the Del Rey contract began. Um, Scoundrels, that caper story. This is coming from Mark's personal collection here. In order to enter for this one, you again, as usual, have three weeks to enter. So you want to enter by January 17th. In order to enter, send us an email to swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Make the body of the email your mailing address so that if you win, we can send it to you. And make the subject line, Scoundrels. Get that into us by the 17th. We will do a random drawing, and uh, hopefully you'll win it. Also bear in mind that the first of these contests is ending on the day this episode is being released, December 27th. So starting in our next episode, we will start announcing winners from the previous contest, starting back with, I believe it was Mercy Kill that was our first one here. So it's kind of exciting to finally be getting to that point. And don't worry, there is much more to come, more stuff uh, from Mark's side of things, more stuff from my side of things, including another copy of Greater Good I know from my collection, and two, count them, two, Equals and opposite Star Wars Tales number 21 comic packs with my story in it, with those figures based on it, Kyle Katarn and the Vong, uh, which will have a signing optional out there. But we're leaving those towards the end of this long uh, prize process here. As well as Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void. <laughs>